friends, welcome to another episode of the Free to Love podcast. Addiction is a loaded word. It carries a long and complicated legacy of shame and misunderstanding, both within the church and in broader culture. It's our conviction that the path to healing and freedom includes demystifying addiction and exposing how each of us in our own ways suffer from addiction. This isn't simply seen in drugs, alcohol, or the destructive behaviors we typically think of when discussing the topic. No, it shows up increasingly in subtle ways that, while they may not be less dramatic, still leave us emotionally unavailable and diminished, less than fully free versions of who we are created to be. That's why in this week's conversation, we explore the area of addiction, seeking to redefine it and illustrate its inner workings, while also offering up a positive vision for what health and freedom can look like. You're not alone on this journey, and it may be a slow one and a long one, but there is hope and power to learn new ways to live free. Jeff and I both share some of our own journey with addiction, and we can speak from a place of experience. We want to encourage you that there are so many resources to help support you or your loved ones in becoming free. So we hope this week's conversation on addiction blesses you. Be well. Welcome back, friends. Uh, we're here diving into yet another one of uh, everybody's favorite topics, addiction. <laughs> I feel like that's what we do every week is just pick up a, a hard, complex aspect of human life and try and pick it apart a little bit and maybe I'd say right-size it. A lot of the different issues that contribute to people living in dysfunctional relationships with themselves, with one another, and with God um, are driven because... I don't know, of, of fear and also because we we lack understanding. So today we're going to try and understand, to peel back some of the layers of the onion around this topic of addiction. And it's just Jeff and I today. Jen is off doing something wonderful and exciting with her family. And Jen is also perfect and has never encountered any, right. any addiction in any way, <laughs> shape or form. But Jeff and I have. Personal experience on addiction. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is one we know from the inside out, That's and right. we'll we'll get to yeah. that a little bit a little bit later and share some of our stories. But um, Jeff, let's talk about addiction, shall okay. we? Yes. Let's start yeah. out by um, helping people to understand how, throughout the rest of this conversation, when we're using the ideas of addiction, uh, how are we defining that to start with? Let's let's fill in some of that container. Yeah. Well. Uh, and according to my research, and, and then uh, for those who've, who've done the skills workshops, is um, in session eight, we do talk about addiction. And I have identified that when we talk about addiction, there's, there are three primary um, definitions uh, to addiction. And so I'm going to just cover those real quickly. Um, and the first one is more of a biblical, what I would call a biblical definition of of addiction, and that's mm -hmm. called we call that a stronghold. Okay, and the Bible uses this word stronghold, um, uh, and, and it really is. I describe it as an impenetrable fortress within the human heart or soul, whereby the enemy has been given permission to take residence. So I think that word permission is mm -hmm. a critical word, uh, and a lot of it's done out of our own naiveness. Um, uh, our blindness to our emotional state. And, uh, and so the Bible really describes stronghold is when we, uh, when we have turned away from God to be the very source and the essence of not only our identity, but as our source, our, our source of needs and the longings of our heart. And when we take mm -hmm. those emotions and the passions of our heart Instead of turning and placing those in our relationship with God, we 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 go to material things, we go to temporal things, and so the Bible calls that as a stronghold. Mm -hmm. uh, the other uh, the other uh, definition is more of a psychological concept and what we call addiction as a compulsive or repeated behavior, um, and it really is the the inability to stop. And a repeated or compulsive behavior or activity, 
And so we'll get into that a little bit more, but that's where our willpower is being undermined or being crushed. So compulsive or repeated behavior is another uh, definition of addiction. Then the third one I have is it is really a form of escape or withdrawing. And what I mean by escape, and we've been talking about the pain cycle, and one of the major coping mechanisms of the pain cycle is to escape Mm -hmm. or to withdraw. And that is how we cope with deep hurt or pain or wounds from the past, unhealed traumas, is that it's very, it's evident that how, how in our culture, that how we deal with past pain is we turn to things, we turn to substances, we turn to people, mm. uh, we turn to processes in order to fill that void, try to numb out that pain. So, so those are three really pretty um, clear or classic definitions of addiction. Yeah, and I think one one element I'm not sure if I heard it in there that is a part of the classic definition of addiction is an increasing threshold. So whether it's a process or particularly in the the arena of substances, um, the sort of equilibrium or homeostasis, the sort of comfort that the substance or the the process or the material brings, um, more and more of it is required over time to satiate mm-hmm. the need. Yep. Yeah. So that's a kind of a classic distinction um, in identifying addictive yeah. behavior as well. And that's really the progressive nature of uh, the, the tolerance is a progressive nature uh, and a characteristic of addiction. Yeah. Now, uh, Gerald, Gerald May, uh, he has a book called Addiction and Grace, and he, he reinforces what I, I just had identified as addiction as a compulsion to give your energy or what I would say your emotional strength to something that is not your true desire. I really like that. So he's describing that as a, as a follower of Christ, as a, as a spiritual being, we were created by God that our true desire is for God, is that ultimately God is truly the only one that can meet our needs, can satisfy the longings of our heart, and to speak to the sense of our identity. And so he, he speaks of that as when we turn away from that, um, and that's that's the essence of addiction. Or he also says addiction enslaves one's will because our desires are attached to something else. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. We laughed about this before we started mm-hmm. recording, but I showed up to today's episode with a, a Richard Rohr book called Breathing Underwater, which is his book on spirituality and the twelve steps. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a particular quote that I. Uh, had stuck in my mind that I wanted to find. And when I found it and shared it with Jeff, I realized that it actually wasn't a Richard Rohr quote. It was a Gerald Gerald May May. quote Uh yeah, from his book, Addiction and Grace. But I'm just going to read it for us briefly because it it speaks exactly to that that compulsion to give your energy to something that is not your true desire. He Mm -hmm. says that addiction uses up our spiritual desire. It drains away our deepest and true desire. Mm. That inner flow and life force, which makes us long and pant for running streams, as Psalm 42 says. Spiritual desire is the drive that God put in us from the beginning for total satisfaction, for home, for heaven, for divine union, and it just got displaced onto the wrong object. It has been a frequent experience of his to find that many people in recovery often have a unique and very acute spiritual sense, more than most people. They're sensitive people, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Emotionally, spiritually. And he says that it just got frustrated early on and aimed in the wrong direction. Wild need and desire took off before boundaries, strong identity, impulse control, and deep God experience were in place. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I love that he's he's trying to get underneath, and you were doing that as well, trying to get underneath the stigma of addiction in some capacity and to uh, highlight the fact that it's part of how we're wired mm-hmm. to desire meaning connection to experience union pleasure um it's the classic augustinian conception of disordered loves right right addiction is born when we develop this pattern of living out of disordered loves yep yeah and which gerald may in his book the the basic thesis of his book is that we are all addicts yeah (laughs) in some way or another is that in our 
created in, in a material world is that the natural in the natural tendencies of us in our physical makeup is to the danger of attaching our sense of well-being and our identity mm-hmm. toward temporal things or be substance or we talk about substance or food or sex or things of like that that there is really a imbalance or disorder that moves us in that direction which is the, the characteristic of addiction so which is interesting is if we really look at statistically of where our culture is today mm-hmm. and it's really my basic assumption if we are by nature all ad- addicts then it it makes a lot of sense that we live in a culture of addiction mm-hmm. and i think i really want to highlight that that in, in order for us to come out of denial and out of a place of spiritual darkness we have to recognize that we live we live in a culture we live in a world that the temptations of the flesh are constantly uh, screaming at us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, realizing, therefore, and this is where I think it's, it's uh, as I've been focusing and in, in, um, in doing some research on, is how that the church, uh, the evangelical church or the church in, in general, has been consumed by the culture of addiction. Mm. And I think it's important. We, I, I, I think it's important. And I would say this is not only something that I think it's just a theory. It's something I believe is true out of my own experience. Yeah. And as a as a pastor or counselor for the last twenty years, and where I've invested a lot of my time into leadership, into church leadership, into pastors and lay leaders, is that um, not only we've seen a constant flow of addiction um, in the church, but we see it's also skyrocketing. Mm, mm-hmm. So. Um, so I think it's important that we need to speak that in order to bring change and transformation. We need to identify that. And if we're not, we're living in a state of, which is the first state of addiction, is we're living in denial. Yeah. Denial of the problem. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, that might not be a popular thing, Jeff, to say <laughs> about the church and in general. You know, we, particularly here in America, um, but generally, we we have bought into this idea of upward mobility and this idea of well i mean of a certain form of capitalism that's based on constant consumption mm-hmm. right and each company's goal is to grow every year you never hear companies talking about really like well we we made enough profit this year and so our goal is just to you know we want to make less next year mm-hmm. you know um or I won one championship. That was enough. You know, there's always yeah. the next thing. Yeah, and that's right. An interesting, I think, generational distinction here is that I look at the your generation and those older than me, and I see, um, I see you guys built a lot of things and you accumulated uh, a lot of wealth, and generationally speaking, mm-hmm. and my generation. Well, everybody still cares about money. <laughs> My generation seems to have fixated more on being uh, addicted to or consumed by experiences. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, like saying, well, my life will be meaningful. The next experience I have, the next wild adventure or whatnot that I can go put on my, my Instagram um, will give, this will surely give meaning to my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think as uh, we really pinpoint this and focus on the state of the church today, um, that uh, it is my it is my experience. Not only do we see the increase of substance abuse, uh, and particularly alcoholism and sexual addiction and pornography, I and mean, that's something that I, I would goodness sakes I would say that um, you know three or four out of ten men that I minister to are struggling with either alcoholism or sexual addiction. Yeah, and so which is being fed, it's being fed by secrecy and silence. And mm-hmm. so that's only, and that, that sort of culture in the church is only aggravated because uh, we don't feel that um, it's safe to be able to bring that up in, in the church culture. So, oh, we, totally. hi, so we hide, our, we hide our, our sins, we hide our addictions uh, because we don't want to be rejected or we don't um, want... Um, um, to be judged, so which only feeds and fuels the addictive component within the local churches. Yeah, but I and part of you know, and, and as you know, we've talked a little bit about our own story, and you know, my story is is being exposed to pornography when I was twelve years old, and then and then trying to white knuckle it throughout my you know 
high school and then college. Of course, I wasn't a, a follower of Christ uh, until I was 20, 21 years old. But even then, I had denied the fact that I'm not an addict. I just, at times, I struggle with um, with addiction. Um, but it's real fascinating is that understanding the components of addiction is that of compulsivity and drivenness. And I brought that as a pastor in the last 27 years, I brought that into the church. Mm. So even though even though I had finally overcame uh, my addiction toward pornography, is I realized that that addictive component was still very much alive and well. It's just that I turned I turn my addiction into, not into pornography or substance abuse, but I turned my addiction toward pornography the processes in ministry, toward programs in ministry, and toward people. Mm. Process, programs, people. And people. So realizing that to what degree I, that I'm in, in, in where I am right now, I'm in this transition of kind of an in a unofficial sabbatical for my life of pulling away and realizing I need to take care of myself, is that um, I have experienced, um, I, I've been a, a, um, a master in burnout, mm. you know? Um, and so, um, throughout my ministry, like I've experienced burnout, exhaustion, and at times severe disappointment. And the sad thing about it is I'm recognizing in my own journey right now is that how I've turned in the name of God, I've turned my attachments from God to the need to meet other people's needs mm, mm. or, and subtly underneath that, not just my need to meet other people's needs, but how much of my sense of identity and my worth and my value have been in the ministry of pleasing other people yeah. and, and want to make sure that people are pleased with me. Yeah. So that sort of dynamic it's in, and I think it's very, I, I'm sure in that, if this is my experience, I know it, it's it's a predominant experience. Uh, it's a it's a it's a very strong experience with most people who have been in the church for a while mm-hmm. that we develop an addiction toward people or we develop a codependency in ministry. Yeah, does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. And I I think that's such the I appreciate that you named it as a subtle, um, you know, a more subtle manifestation of that sort of addictive mentality or proclivity that you have. And I, I think that you're very accurate when you say that the church has been captured by the general spirit of addiction that, that forms and shapes so much of our culture. And we see it, uh, addiction wrapped up in spiritual language. We see it blessed and praised within the church, right? Because, well, you're doing amazing work for the kingdom of God. Well, at what cost, right? Um, we're seeing it cost your families, it's costing your own soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's tragic that we it's tragic that we do that to especially to the the people who have uh, dedicated their lives to trying to yeah build and serve yeah. the local church and 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 unfortunately, I think if we if we Especially in the last ten years, if we were do an assessment of of um, church and leadership in the church, there's such a mass fallout. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the average the average uh, professional pastor is is um, stays within the ministry five to seven years, mm. and so and so what what's causing that sort of fallout and. I think a lot of it has to do with the sense of denial and uh, deception and blindness that we're that we are um, attaching our sense of well-being and our identity and fulfillment and worth toward our ability to meet other people's needs, mm-hmm. and that's always a setup for disappointment and failure. Which then, and, and with that. Uh, comes a sense of drivenness and busyness, which is really, I, I believe it's really a, um, it's a, it's a gateway, um, it's a gateway drug to isolation and emptiness. Mm-hmm. And the sense of performance is then turns into man pleasing um, and, and uh, a desire to, again, attach our well-being toward others. Mm-hmm. 
well, I think we started to get a little bit more specialized and focused on uh, on church and in particular yeah. on how addiction impacts spiritual leaders. Um, but uh, So I want us to, to broaden it back mm-hmm. up, and I, I'm going to do that by reading this quote. It's actually not from a book about addiction. It's, it's by Andy Crouch's excellent book called Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. Mm. And part of how, what he does is he explores... Um, how power in and of itself is not a bad thing. God, God is powerful. God mm-hmm. endows us with power. It's, it's how we use it. Do we use the power that we have or the agency, the free will, um, towards productive, creative means that uh, bring about flourishing and wholeness, connectedness, community, communion, or do we use the power that we have towards destructive ends? And he describes um, the dynamic of of idolatry this way. He says, we see this dynamic clearly in the case of the small scale personal idolatries known as addictions. Mm. Every addict knows that the habit initially delivers everything it promises and more, but over time addictions and gods stop satisfying our desires. The idolater gets a bit nervous. Perhaps the idol just needs a bit more loving care Thus begins a spiral that is all the more demonic for its subtlety. Idols, as Jeffrey uh, Stainover has put it, demand more and more and provide less and less until they give you nothing and demand everything. And isn't that a perfect yes. description wow. of addiction? Oh, wow. That's that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, wow, that sounds um, so accurate. And, and I can just, I think that's been my experience. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that thinking that I have control when the more that I'm giving myself over to, uh, giving my emotions and my, de- my de- desires over to uh, substance or people is, I don't think we're really aware of how we're, we are in a, not only our psychological, emotionally, but neurologically, we're really attaching the neurotransmitters of our brain or sense of well-being toward you know, toward others and toward uh, other uh, sources that are so destructive, then that we get locked into and the danger is and we don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. I love that you brought up uh, pleasure and the neurochemistry because in, at least in session eight in the skills course, we, you try and identify five primary characteristics of addiction. And the first one is a, deli- a desire for pleasure. It's a, a pleasure or mm-hmm. anesthetic from stress, pain, anxiety, and emptiness. And an addiction begins when we attach our desire to anything other than Christ to mask or medicate pain, anxiety, or stress. And I just want to slow down for a second yeah. and, um, and help people understand a lot of people who don't I've never looked at addiction. Um, they view it as uh, a personal weakness. They view it as, you know, um, as cowardice or as an escape. And that is, it, that can all be true. Mm-hmm. But there is a neural, uh, neurochemical component to mm-hmm. this that a lot of people don't understand. And that's just how dopamine functions in our brain, right? Dopamine is the the pleasure drug that our brain naturally produces. And the brain releases it when typically when it is trying to reinforce a positive behavior. Mm. So when we eat good food, there's uh, you know, there's a release of dopamine, not only in our brain, but in our gut as well. You know, when we have, uh, when we have intimate sex, that's something that, you know, huge release of pleasure. And that begins to really powerfully create these, uh, these neural pathways and these circuits for, for pleasure. And, um, the challenge with addiction, especially chemical ones, whether that's sexual or, you know, or chemical, um, but kind of with any addiction is that it alters the normal status quo of our brains. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can, over time, as we continue to indulge these different addictions, we're creating a whole new normal chemically for our brain. Mm -hmm. So when we, when it comes to a matter of changing, it's not just belief that needs to change. It's not just behavior. We have to understand that this neurochemical component makes uh, freedom, change, and long-term healing uh, an uphill battle in a real capacity because mm-hmm. we are, we have to spend time undoing what we have done and to taking care of the chemical health of our brain. Yes. Yeah. I think that's great. Uh, and, I, and this, what I like, uh, 
for uh, understanding the neuro the neurochemical component of addiction is it helps to minimize the shame component that a lot of times we experience in the religious community that addiction is limited to understanding it's just it's just human behavior and you need to stop it mm-hmm. but realizing it isn't just about human behavior it's really attached to choices we've made that's taken us down the slippery slope where the neurochemical component of our brain now is is uh, attached to some sort of some sort of chemical whether it be dopamine or serotonin or adrenaline or all the, or these chemicals that are components of addiction that now we become addicted to and it's such a subtle addiction so it's far more complex than just behavior mm-hmm. and it's far it's it's far more um, it's not so it's, it can't be simplified on just our thought our thought process but it really has a neurochemical component to it so when we want to experience some sort of recovery we have to take in consideration of how long have we been struggling with addiction how long have we have we attached ourselves toward alcohol or toward uh, or food or or toward some sexual behavior is because um, we have to take that in consideration for considering how long is it going to take for us to get set free from that addiction mm. because it there's a neurobiological neuropathway component that we need to diminish and eliminate neuropathways and create new neuropathways through healthy choices. Right. We cannot do that apart from some level of accountability. Do you have a sense of, is it, is it a one-to-one? Like if I, you know, if I spent 10 years as an alcoholic, say, mm-hmm. and that it will take 10 years to rewrite those neural yeah. pathways that I've made? Yeah, that, uh, you know, that's a real, that's a great question. And um, I think there's so many, there, there are different components to, to our addiction. So uh, I don't think the, the uh, process of healing isn't correlated necessarily to how long you've been in it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really correlated and it's attached to, do you have the proper resources? Mm-hmm. Do you have the proper resources in order to, to do that? So uh, part of it is uh, what I've discovered, if you've, been, if you've experienced some level of addiction from 10 years or older, um, I'm discovering that if, if you have the right resources, you can experience some level of freedom within two or three years. Mm. Two or three years. Yeah. Begin on, to have breakthroughs and then begin able to create some new disciplines and and have a level of accountability that that can begin the process of setting you free. Yeah, that ma- well that, that I think that about maps for me and my story too. Mm-hmm. You know, um yeah, that once I accepted once I quit characteristic number two, which is denial of the problem, mm-hmm. um, and the loss of reason that comes with that and accepted that I rest, I wrestled with a number of different addictions. Uh, I, I remember when you first told me that actually we were sitting in the same office and you're like, Oh, it's about, you know, if you really lean into it, if you take it seriously, if you accept the invitation to the healing journey, then yeah, you'll, you can see a lot of growth in two to three years. And I thought you were going to say two to three months. And I was, Oh, crestfallen, <laughs> discouraged. And I, I know, a lot of the men that we work with, when they hear that number, uh, that can be really discouraging. Yes. Yeah. So what do you usually say to people when they come back with like two to three years? Really? Yeah. Well, and, and then I I basically would then put in the context, well, so how long have you been struggling? Mm-hmm. So let's be realistic. If you've been struggling with some addiction or some behavior for more than 10 years, 12 years old, maybe... You know, a lot of men who I speak with is that they were exposed to pornography when they're 10 years old, 11 years old. Now they're in their 50s. So it's been 40 years. I said, so do you think you've been doing something 40 years you can get over with in a month? Yeah. (laughs) It's just unrealistic. Uh But the beautiful thing about it is that uh, recovery isn't just a matter of breaking a a bad behavior or um, addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. What I've discovered, it's, it's really the doorway. And this is what's so beautiful about the redemptive work of God is that the road in the rec- the road to recovery from addiction is really a deep journey into into holistic 
transformation. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about changing your behavior because your behavior is being driven by core beliefs, past trauma, mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, issues of uh, family of origin. And so we have an opportunity when people struggle with addiction is to take them uh, underneath the iceberg to, to find out what are the root issues of addiction mm -hmm. that's, that it has driven or has been a cause, a motivation, motivating factor out of, you, out of your trauma that's pushed you into pleasure-seeking and that inevitably you fall into some level of addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about two of the five characteristics of addiction. First one, desire for pleasure. Second one, denial of the problem. Third one, we've already been kind of touching on that too, mm -hmm. which is the disabling of the will, the loss of freedom, so that addiction, that addiction's nature to cripple our capacity to choose. And that's, you know, we. it's so funny because, at least for me, when I was abusing alcohol, um, when I was addicted to nicotine, you know, when I was uh, in denial about my sexual addiction, you know, I too was exposed to pornography around, you know, 10, 12 years old. Um, I... When you're doing those activities, uh, at least one of the lies that was going through my head is that when I was choosing to indulge in those activities, really to escape, yeah. I felt like I was powerful and in control and that I was making, huh. I was making yeah. a willful decision. And when in reality, <laughs> I couldn't be further from the truth. The reality yeah. is that I was in the grip of something and that... Um, as we were mentioning in this neurochemical component, while we've we've begun to limit the capacity of our brain to kind of think and be motivated in certain ways because we've gotten used to uh, the pathways we've built or we've gotten used to a certain level of dopamine or excitement or adrenaline being in our system, mm -hmm. um, it starts to narrow our capacity to choose, disable the will, yeah. as you said. Yeah, which is fascinating uh, your kind of your worldview and the distortion of your perspective reality is that you looked at it as a form of empowering yourself. Uh -huh. And uh, as I reflect uh, back on my own journey, is that is so true. I remember when I was um, when I was um, playing baseball at USC, um, and uh, I developed an addiction toward amphetamines. Mm. So before. Before I pitched, I would I would take some sort of, um, and, and some sort of pill that that would uh, enhance my energy, and I started believing that I'm invincible. If yeah. I take this pill, I'm invincible. So, which leads Ooh. to which is interesting because it really does lead to the fourth characteristic of addiction, which is the distortion of reality. Mm -hmm. Is we buy into this lie mm -hmm. that that when I when I smoke pot when I you know, when I take this pill, um, boy, it makes me, it really, it, it, it makes me who I really am. It, it fulfills my ultimate desires. And, uh -huh. and it, in a sense, the, the distortion of reality is that instead of freeing us up, it actually, what we don't realize, it's, it's in bonding. It's putting us into bondage to that substance. So distortion of reality is a loss of perspective. It's the purpose of addiction is to keep us unaware of what is going on inside of us. Uh-huh. I can't tell you how many uh, friends in the last number of years as, uh, you know, as medicinal marijuana has become legal yeah. and whatnot. I mean, marijuana has done amazing things for certain people in certain capacities, and it, yet it's still a reality-distorting drug. And... Um, People, a lot of people that I know who have used it have used it to manage anxiety. Yeah. Which, okay, it, it may work, um, but it isn't addressing the root causes of the anxiety that we talked about, right? Like the core wounds or the life circumstances or the choices, the grief that you carry that you're not, you know, where you want to be at, at life. It doesn't do anything. Any of our addictions don't make us more free. Okay, so for you, you started realizing that amphetamines during your uh, your time as a pitcher, it made you feel invincible. And uh, I can't tell you how many creative friends of mine 
have discovered, you know, whether they be mushrooms or, you know, pot or anything like that. And they're like, oh, well, it really helps me get in touch with my creative side, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so I, it become, they become dependent on it to write music, you know, to paint, what, whatever. They're like, oh, it opens, it opens me up. And I don't disagree that it, it, it does. Um, yeah. The little that I, I've experienced with mind-altering drugs, drugs it definitely does uh, yeah. change your reality and gives you access to all sorts of different types of creativity, right? Because you're living in a distortion. Um, and yet, the least addiction is paradoxically and hilariously the least creative act. It is <laughs> rote yeah. repetition. That's, it is that's, so unoriginal. It, that is so... That's such a great insight. And it, it's, isn't it interesting that I... Uh, how when we attach it to our spirituality, we attach addiction to spirituality... Which and there are a lot of in the mystical world. Uh, even I'm seeing on the on the radical um, sphere of the Christian life is people are taking medication. They're taking psilocybin for spiritual experiences. Yeah, thinking that God is attached to some chemical. Mm. And when we have when our brain changes its chemical makeup, and we have some sort of euphoric experience that how we can attach that to God. And to me, it is so, it is so deceiving mm. when we attach God to some sort of dependency or substance mm-hmm. on, on a powder or a, you know, some sort of chemical or uh, a, a person or that how we, we actually substitute God for that. Or even to take it a step further in the spiritual space uh, to an experience, right? A spiritual mm-hmm. experience e- without substance, um, right. Dependence on, you see people who are chasing the, the worship high, you know, like, well, I just want to go to the next worship conference or whatever, because yeah. I want to be swept up in this euphoric experience of oneness with this yeah. crowd. And they've identified that as, well, that, that feeling is God. It's like, well, I mean, I don't doubt that God is in that environment and that God can speak powerfully and that it um, in my experience, like encountering God in worship is is a profound and a beautiful gift. But if I if I overly identify with uh, my spirituality with that, if I over identify with God is there in that experience in that substance, um, well, I'm ultimately going to become dependent upon that. And God is the most radically free, being who He is. And that's his desire for us, right? To be genuinely creative. That's why we titled this podcast Free to Love. That's right. Um, transforming pain to peace because whatever pain you're in, whether it's the pain of addiction or the pain of trauma, we believe that God desires in every instance you to be moving towards greater freedom and liberation so that you are free to actually choose to partner with him to do something unique and beautiful in the world. Yeah. Which is really interesting is in is is understanding that one of the definitions of addiction is addiction is the opposite of intimacy. It's a it's a false intimacy. Mm-hmm. So what what drives us to addiction is this innate desire to want to be known, this innate desire to want to be loved and cared for, this innate kind of human desire of of experience some level of inner peace and joy. And and the reality is being created in the image of God, the only way we can really do that is through our relationship with God. And we were created in the in the anatomy, uh, in the in, created in the image of God, is that our ultimate desire is to be loved and it's intimate and it's to be intimate. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem is most of us, most human beings, their greatest fear is intimacy mm-hmm. the place? The place that has brought them the most pain, yeah, is the risk of, of intimacy. So, uh, so the desire of wanting experience, love, of connection, and communion, and intimacy becomes the very essence that drives us away from the very thing that we want, and that is connection, mm-hmm. communion, and love with others. I love how that statement, that truth that you just outlined for us there, it's something that is increasingly accepted in 
secular culture as well. I'm thinking back, man, it must have, maybe it was 2016 or something like that. I think it was written by Elaine de Baton. There was an, an op-ed in the New York Times that said the antidote to addiction is connection. And mm-hmm. the whole, yeah. the whole you know, piece was unpacking how the more and more we found it, it's, um, it's not the true freedom that people long for from addiction, whatever it may be, is found in genuine intimacy. That's good. And um, so I just, I love it when, I love it when the church and the world, the scientific community, the the therapeutic community, we all end up on the same page. It's mm-hmm. a, a beautiful synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's why I love that the science is making it more, um, more apparent to, with the whole neurochemical component of addiction is, is really helping us to experience a greater sense of the process of healing yeah. and recovery. Okay, so let me try and recap where we've been, because we've been, I think, meandering a little bit here and a little bit there. We started out trying to define addiction, and you offered us these kind of three different components, and really there's there's a spiritual component to it. We, that's where the scripture uses the language of, of bondage um, or oppression. Uh, so, then there's an, an emotional, social component to it. And then there's, we've talked about the neurochemical component. And you also just helped us reflect on some of what you've seen in your 20-year experience in counseling people that the general culture of addiction, this is the thesis we're proposing, that we actually live in a culture of addiction in whether that's a process addiction or a substance addiction, love addiction. There's, they're all, yeah. you know, there's, Pick your poison. Uh, that spirit of addiction has also really deeply gripped and shaped the church. And we can we can know that that's true by some of the statistics that we kind of have alluded to, the percentage of uh, of pastors, of leaders who, who also struggle with addiction. And we see, I mean, all over the place, the destructive power that that has had to um, expose enormous amounts of people to severe pain and trauma. And, and loss of faith in the church because we, just like a lot of the rest of our culture, is are wrestling with the issue of denial of the problem. And we've shared a little bit in our story. Uh, so I feel like we've defined addiction decently well. So, so well, okay, is there any hope? We're just all addicted. <laughs> What's Lead me out of yeah. here. Uh, lead me out of Egypt yeah. here, Jeff. Let's okay. talk some about... Um, how we can begin to become freed of addiction. Yeah. And I think that, let me just, let me uh, address that issue by once again, highlighting the fifth characteristic of addiction, which is at the very heart of addiction, as I just said, is that intimacy is really a false, is really false addiction. Mm-hmm. And so the the major damage and characteristic of addiction is that how it, in how it impairs, it destroys relationships. Mm-hmm. So the, it, it disconnects us from our loved ones. The loss of relationships, our inability to be emotionally available, um, these are all evidence of addiction um, or, uh, or, or, or using addiction to numb out areas of depression or anxiety all they do is they create they create another wall of hindering our capacity and our willingness not only to connect with others, but also to to connect with God. Mm. So what does that look like? So what is the process of healing? Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that uh, history has shown us that the whole twelve step movement has been profound. Yeah, and I think in many ways, I think the twelve step program has now um, how it has impacted and reinforced and reflected on the essence of true Christianity, which I would call is high relationship and high accountability. Mm. So to really simplify, how do we overcome, how do we overcome our addiction, our addictive component is we need to, uh, on a social cultural uh, uh, realm is we need to emphasize a high level of connecting with other people and that requires a place of authenticity, transparency, mm-hmm. vulnerability, that we find ourselves and can come to a place in the church where there's a high level of confidentiality, of safety, that we can be honest, 
we can be um, we can be conf- we can be confessive and or confess our our faults as well as that we can experience some level of affirmation and encouragement. But that only can happen is when there's also a high level of accountability, mm. that there are clear boundaries, um, levels of responsibility, choices that we're going to make that is going to help us to overcome uh, our addiction. Yeah, which is why we try to emphasize in, hopefully in this podcast, that a podcast is not enough. This podcast is not the answer. We've, we have great conversations where we unpack um, different, different elements of the healing journey. And we hope this is an empowering thing for people, but really, uh, man, the healing happens in community. We are wounded in community and we are healed in community mm-hmm. because yeah. we are fundamentally relational beings. And so if you're listening to this and you're not plugged into community in some capacity, uh, you reach out to us. We've got the the, sh- the email in the show notes. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. There's all sorts of different ways you can get connected and we can point you towards some resources. And if you're in our local area or within the area uh, around us where the skills ecosystem is a part of different church ministries, then that's a great place to get plugged into. But really the showing up in person to be, as you said, vulnerable and authentic and transparent mm-hmm. is, is so crucial. That's right. So if we're, if we're summarized as, uh, as we understood what addiction is, and if we're not to summarize uh, the, the process of recovery or healing, let me just give you a few principles that I've outlined in our, in our Men's Skills, Women's Skills book. Number one is I need to choose to take responsibility for my own spiritual, emotional, and behavioral well-being. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily... It's not necessarily saying that I, I, do not have, I don't have the ability to get out of my addiction. I do. I can start making choices to mm-hmm. get help. Mm-hmm. So choosing to find an environment, find a culture where uh, there are resources, where there's high relationship and high accountability to help me in the process of healing and recovery. So the second principle is, is once again, I have to come to a place of repentance and acknowledge my sin and place my dependency back on God and not on the substance, not on people, but begin to create a a dependency on God for my own personal relational change. And, uh, And then number three, that I need to make a choice to walk in faith, to be courageous, not give in to my shame and discouragement, but be courageous in discovering what obstacles and what are the uh, different contributing factors that have led me to this place of demise and, and uh, addiction? And then the last thing I'd want to just share is I choose to become a more loving and caring person because at the very essence of, of all of our journey of transformation, whether it's recovery, restoration, transformation, is, is to be um, manifest the very essence of God, who God is, and that is to become a more loving, caring person. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal of, of discipleship. That's the goal of recovery. Uh, that's really the essence of church, church life. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, the importance of community is that we can encourage each other through forgiveness, through grace and mercy to become a more loving person. Yeah, that's beautiful, Jeff. That's beautiful. Uh, a great metric to measure all things by. Am I spiritual health is becoming a more loving person. One thing that was really helpful to me in um, my journey of understanding the nature of my addiction and beginning to take ownership and responsibility, as you said, for my own emotional, physical, and spiritual journey uh, was you really helped me when you reframed some of this for me, my natural propensity, and I'm willing to bet it's a lot of people's natural propensity, especially if you've been connected to spirituality and to religion, highly behavior oriented, highly Mm -hmm. shame based, right? Um, A lot about the, which doesn't work. (laughs) So highly shame based um, overemphasizes the like moral behavior and gets us trapped into this idea of performance and that we have to like quit the sin, quit your addiction. 
So that's the mentality I brought into it, a shame-based performance one where it, the, I was really saying, okay, how do I stop this destructive behavior? And of course, um, sobriety is a key element on the spiritual journey, committing to that. But more, more than that, you gave me this framework of building something positive. So instead of negative reinforcement, mm-hmm. positive reinforcement, and you said, hey, think of it this way, your job is to create safety for you to build safety into your life for you and for your family, you know, and right now family is just me and my wife. But, uh, I, at that time when I wasn't married, I took that to be the roommates I was living with. Like, Hey, it's my responsibility to take ownership and start building safety into my life, boundaries, healthy, uh, checks and balances, the sort of accountability that you're talking about, so that the chaos of my own addictions didn't impact the people that I loved. And I've come back to that time and time again, because it is, it's so simple. Uh, it's so clear and direct. Addiction is not safe. It makes us unstable and chaotic. It steals our capacity to be present and to love. It steals time and resources. And it makes us undependable and unpredictable. And... I don't have to live that way anymore. I'm empowered to begin taking small steps towards building safety into my life. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Um, And I think just to reflect on the discussions we've had more recently on where we are in our own journey is for me, as I'm I'm acknowledging in my own limitations uh, and the busyness and the intensity of being a pastor and dealing with crisis in people's lives... I've come to this place, as I said before, of complete burnout, exhaustion. And one of the things I'm discovering uh, for my own restoration and my own healing is to embrace and begin to make healthy choices through spiritual disciplines. Mm. And when when we really talk about addiction, we're really talking about habits. You know, it's just a habit. And so what we, in order to break bad habits, we have to create new habits. And this is where spiritual disciplines I found, and this is something I'm discovering because I'm a pretty performance driven guy is walking more into understanding the contemplative uh, spiritual disciplines of the Christian life has been something that's been enlightening and new for me is understanding what spiritual disciplines are of of slowing down, mm-hmm. of uh, solitude and stillness and silence, uh, which is so contrary to, I think, modern man <laughs> to move in that direction. But I'm, and it's, I, I'm beginning to discover is spiritual disciplines is different than uh, human disciplines. Spiritual disciplines is really creating, is, is really creating these parameters and these boundaries in my life to detach from the culture, detach from social media, to detach from busyness and place in myself position to receive from God. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter of my willfulness of trying to be to change my habits, but it's a more of a willingness to create a, pos- a posture in myself to receive God's healing power through his truth, through his affirmation of my identity through learning to sit in his presence and allowing his spirit to come and begin this process of, of me rediscovering my true identity, my true value in Christ. And that true is a that is a huge component that I'm discovering that is awakening me to a greater sense of my identity in Christ. Mm, that's beautiful. How counterintuitive, which is very g- typically Jesus in a lot of ways, that Uh, I love how you said health, freedom from addictive thinking. It's probably the the place that most people are stuck in bondage, right? We call them in the curriculum, you call them automatic negative thoughts Mm -hmm. or ants. But it's not willfulness that leads us to, to freedom, to sobriety, to health, and to healing. It's the willingness to slow down and to surrender. Yeah all of our different white knuckling performance-based mm-hmm. strategies and to first get alone with ourselves, accept the reality of our brokenness. Um, but on a deeper level than that, to accept the truth of who we are in Christ, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, Amen. that we 
are filled with the Holy Spirit who will empower us to do the good works that God has set aside for each one of us. Yeah, that's great. And I and just kind of bringing this whole thing to a conclusion to summarize all this is that um, metaphorically, it, it's is we we desire to develop an addiction toward the Spirit, toward Christ, to His love. Is this this insatiable hunger uh, and desire and a passion, a sense of a des- almost a desperation uh, out of our sense of emptiness, this sense of desperation. I cannot do this apart from God's Spirit. Mm-hmm. I cannot. I really can't continue to grow unless. I have a dependency on his word and I'm devoted to, um, you know, into, to his spirit. So that's to me is holy addiction. We've heard that term, a holy addiction toward the presence of Christ. And, and I know we've had um, how we, you know, we talked about earlier, how we just love to be in the presence of God through worship mm-hmm. and uh, listen, you know, singing worship songs and meditating on his presence and praying and asking his asking for him to refresh us and to renew us. And, and I love that because that's really the antithesis of what, what the worldly concept of addiction is. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to say something. I'm glad you brought that up. The whole idea of the holy addiction, um, this side of eternity, we, the, the sort of communion that we desire with God, with others, with the world isn't, isn't possible. We're finite, limited beings. We live in a, in a, uh, a bent world in a lot of ways. Part of the Christian promise is that the coming of God will um, will usher in a an age where and a whole new reality where uh, it's defined not by isolation or separation, but by communion, by union, um, by joy and peace, and all the fruits of the Spirit, rather than the destructive fruits of of. A, of our addictions and our inadequacies. Um, I, I wrestled with the idea of holy addiction for a while. And I think it's because I fundamentally, when we describe addiction, it's, it's something that begins to consume the self, right? And it leads to an erasure of the self. All of the things that make you, you, who you are Mm -hmm. begin to be sacrificed to the addiction. And um, I think I realize now I don't, I've experienced somewhere along the line, a transformation in my thinking. And I, th- I think what I'm struggling to name here is that my fear of the concept of holy addiction was really rooted in a false image of God. Mm. I was afraid that, man, if I really give myself, my heart, my mind, my body, my life fully into the hands of God, I will lose myself. Yeah. I will be consumed. I will be, you know, I'll, I'll be lost mm-hmm. in some capacity. And the paradox is that when we say yes to letting go, uh-huh. to surrendering and to giving up our life, it's when we receive a whole new one, uh, the true one that uh, we've been promised. And it's not this erasure. It's actually, you begin to come alive. You become That's more right. and more Jeff. Yeah, more and more right. Joseph. Yeah. And so the very concept of addiction, it's it's put on its head. Instead of this spiral down into um, into nothingness, it's more the spiral out into the fullness of who you are supposed to be in Christ. Yeah, that's great. I think I, I think growing up is I, I misunderstood Jesus, when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. And so I always looked at that as some um, martyrdom, sacrificial choice that um, that I'm going to give myself for God and he's going to send me to some far off place I really have no desire to go to. But um, but it's <laughs> the truth is, and just to reinforce what you said, is that's where true joy comes in. Mm. Is is that when we when we do discover and we are able to pick up our crosses, picking up our crosses really is facing our pain, facing our disappointments. To pick up our cross is to have to deal not with our own pain, but we're willing to sit with other people in their own suffering and their yeah. own pain, or dealing with other people who are struggling with addiction. That we can sit with them because we we understand the pain they're going through, and by by using the metaphor of picking up the cross, it really is the journey 
of surrender and and letting go and confessing and then rediscovering our true identity in the journey of healing. Jeff, that's the perfect place to bring it to a close. I, cause I, and I want to emphasize the point I hear you making the, where you're at in your journey, the, the slowing down and the detaching, uh, the surrendering spiritual disciplines and trying to be, to learn how to receive in a new and a deeper way. Um, Christ's love and your true identity, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in you in this kind of Zen state or this state of, you know, being enamored with the beatific vision and you, (laughs) you're just perfectly content uh, and alone. Uh No, no, no. You are, you're filled up so that yes, you can shoulder your cross again, which has become incredibly light in comparison to what it used to be when you had yeah. to carry it on your own so that you can go out and sit with other people. And that's fundamental to the 12 step process too, it right? Is. Yeah. You, your, 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 your sobriety and your journey of healing is not complete until what was once the wound has become the gift and where you have taken the new freedom, the new agency, the new creativity, the new passion and energy that you have, and you've directed it towards participating in God's work of healing the world, yes. not any longer from a place of performance where you mistake yourself mm-hmm. for God, where you get the high of, of fixing people, yeah. healing marriages, you know, um, preaching the truth and feeling like that you have kind of got it all going on. No, no, no. It's, it's this thing that, uh, you've, it's been freely given to us Yes, as we come to God naked in our brokenness uh, he freely gives us this abundance of his life and we are charged with turning and then giving it away freely. Yes. And if we don't, that's where things can get dangerous too, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Spirituality, if it becomes navel gazing, if mm-hmm. it becomes only about self-improvement, uh-huh. it's stunted spirituality. Yeah. Have you become a more loving person implies that you are in loving relationship yeah. with others, which is of course what we see in Christ. Yeah. I, well said. I, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I, the, what a way to end this is understanding that um, is that when we are able to con, pl, be in that place of contemplation and create an environment of detaching from the things of the world and attaching ourselves to the presence of God and surrendering to Him, there's that mystical component. Mm-hmm. That's where the faith component comes in that God can meet us in that place, in that place of solitude or, or silence. And mm-hmm. that's where the healing takes place. And I, I think, and we know, Joseph, if we've been in our own discipleship group on Tuesday nights, is we're, we're really discovering um, how important it is that not only do we need to practice spiritual disciplines for our own recovery and healing, but the importance of consecrated community. Yes. And, and this is why, you know, why we are so strongly um, embracing and uh, the, having the conviction of creating a discipleship movement, mm-hmm. a, a holistic, integrated, spirit-filled discipleship movement that begins with the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thanks for uh, the conversation today on yeah. addiction and for sharing some of your own story, the insights you've learned over the last 20 years in ministering to people, but also just the, the hard-won lessons, too, that you've learned from uh, from your own wrestles with addiction. And I just so appreciate your your transparency and your vulnerability in, in sh- opening up and sharing with us that, you know, hey, in this state of, I hit a state of burnout and I'm, I'm re-examining and I'm discovering, you know, um, there's yet a deeper level for me to to surrender to God to receive. Yeah. So just thanks so much for your wisdom, um, for your for your wit, and for sharing your life with us today. Amen. Well, thank you. And Joseph, thank you for your own uh, vulnerability and your transparency and uh, how we have. Um, so how many times that we've, we've been in a place where we, we feel safe with each other and mm-hmm. that we can be open and honest with our struggles and and be an encouragement by God's spirit to one another. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for the opportunity for us to do the podcast, but also to live the gospel, to live this life in God's love out together. It's a gift. Amen. 
Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or need help or for more information about how to take the next step in your healing journey, please feel free to email us at ftlpod at northcoastcalvary.org or head over to the relationshipresource.org to learn about what classes and resources are available to support you. A big thanks to North Coast Calvary Chapel and the Relationship Resource for making this podcast possible. Our podcast was directed and produced by Joseph Carlson and edited by Nate King. Original music by the one and only Brian McMaster.